This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. A tiny bit of trivia to begin today's episode, friends and neighbors, fellow ridiculous historians. Once upon a time, I, Ben Bullen, lived in Guatemala. Ben, you always play your tales of adventure in Guatemala very close to the vest. I'm hoping today that will change. My name is Noel, and this is Ridiculous History. Why are we talking about Guatemala, Ben? I'm so glad you asked, Noel. Uh, we're talking about Guatemala today because it leads us into a very strange topic, uh, one that we think that you might rightly call ridiculous. Our super producer, Casey Pegram, certainly did off air earlier. He chuckled. Yeah, which we took as very high praise. Mm -hmm. So when I was uh, living in Guatemala, one of the things that constantly astounded me was the wealth of ancient culture there, especially as you go up into the northern part of the country, Patan. Sure. Uh, then you will see all these amazing ruins that have withstood the test of time pretty well and are currently protected by the government, which is a good thing. And it inspired in me this interest in uh, Mayan culture, Mesoamerican culture, but Maya in particular. And the reason I was so inspired by this is because I was, I was living in a town called Jela, uh, Quetaltenango. And 
there's still a lot of Mayan influence there. I remember learning Spanish well enough to get by in the day, and then people would switch to Quiche, the other language they spoke. I did not know that that was a thing until we started researching this uh, topic today. <laughs> um, man, should we... Should we let the cat out of the bag? <laughs> we can let it let it roll around just a second okay. more because I want to make sure people know that we are we are being respectful with this. It's a very different thing for both of us. Okay, Ben, you're really doubling down on this. It's just I think it's just one sentence. We needed to say it. There is such a wealth of cultural practice, a lot of which might seem strange to many of us in the modern day. And recently, Noel, uh, with the help of our pal Christopher Hasiotis, we discovered a ritual that we had never heard of, right? I mean, you hadn't heard of this in this context. I had not heard of it in this context. context. Um, what I would like you to do, Ben, is, is give me a list of three, because as we've decided, a list must be three. Minimum. Oh, well, that's well, the bare bones. The, the, the barrier of entry to a list there we go. is three. Mm-hmm. So give me three cultural um, oddities that you found in your time in uh, Guatemala Ending with the one that is today's uh, episode that you only found out about just recently. Okay, yes, I'll play these reindeer games. So, one, people wouldn't snap their fingers the way that you and I do, like that. Mm. What you do is, uh, and imagine this with us, listeners, you take your thumb and your middle finger and you put them together so the fingertips touch, and then you shake your hand. I can do it with my left hand, and you make a snapping noise. It's tough. You make a snapping noise with your pointer finger against your middle finger. That sounds like that would wear out your wrist. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. I still never quite mastered the trick. Two, and this is one of my favorite things, all those old Bluebird school buses that, you know, ferry kids back and forth to school in the States, when they are retired, they move outside the United States down south and they become what are known as chicken buses and they're a mode of transit. If you get a second, look them up on Google. They're amazing. You would love these in particular, Noel. They have a lot of psychedelic colors. Uh, There are these amazing mods and the drivers will take these things anywhere around volcanoes. Sort of like a crazy Grateful Dead bus. And of course, number three, Noel, that we just found out about. I, I, I'm going to give the honor to you, my friend. Yeah, I don't know. This is sort of a, a hollow setup that I uh, envisioned, <laughs> but I mainly just wanted to hear some of the trivia that you had from your time there. But we'll get into more of that later. Sure, the sure. third one, and the, to- the topic of today's episode, is that back in the days of these Mesoamerican indigenous tribes, the Maya, the Inca, the Aztec, the Toltec, the Olmec, mm-hmm. we'll get into more of those, uh, there was a pretty heavy focus on getting utterly smashed on everything from fermented plants Mm -hmm. to psychedelic mushrooms, Mm -hmm. um, all in the service of opening up your mind to the spirit world in kind of a shamanistic way. Yeah. But the one that we didn't really know about, this is all kind of on the nose, is that they did this thing where they gave themselves and potentially each other mm-hmm. ritualistic alcohol enemas. That is true. We will restate this so that you know you are not mishearing this thing. It's not a Freudian slip of your ear. Ritual alcohol enemas, ritualistic alcohol enemas. Because you see, when you are exploring the material crafts left behind by the civilization, you'll see a lot of depictions on uh, on the pottery, right, or on the walls 
of people doing various things, stories from the mythology of the time as well as daily life, commemorations of the the lives of noted figures. Glyphs, right? Yeah, glyphs. Mm -hmm. And you'll also see a ton of what what are definitively believed to be enema scenes, like Mm -hmm. you just described, Noel, and they're on the Mayan pottery. Experts agree that these undoubtedly represent like these are not metaphors they undoubtedly represent a literal activity and for a while this was controversial because it sort of um it sort of undermined the image that a lot of people had of the mayans as a very contemplative philosophical people stoic yeah even stoic they couldn't uh they couldn't quite square that with the idea of indulging in ritual acts of ecstasy there were also uh displays of characters Vomiting. That's right, Ben. In an article uh, called Blood, Water, Vomit, and Wine, um, author Lucia Henderson discusses the importance of uh, these various fermented drinks mm-hmm. um, that were used in some of these ceremonies, one of them being something called pulque. Yes, pulque. Uh, and you can find this article online in uh, the Mesoamerican Voices Journal. Pulque is an alcoholic beverage that is made by fermenting the sap of an agave plant, uh, specifically a magwe, not magwai. Be careful. Not a gremlins reference. Uh, M-A-G-U-E-Y. And you may be familiar with uh, agave being used in other alcoholic beverages, right? Even in the modern day. So, we know that this was widespread in in many different forms. It's almost more of an umbrella term at times. But, uh, Noel, could you tell us a little bit about pulque and and what it is and what's in it? I know honey is associated with it. Yeah, so pulque, um, it was actually also called octli um, Mm -hmm. in Nahuatl, which is the Aztec language. Um, And it's, like you said, made from the sap of this plant, um, but they actually have to cut into the heart of the plant, which is the the part that you, I believe the word was... Magwe. Magwe, yeah, Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, it actually has pretty low alcohol content, um, uh, ranging from two to 8%, according to an article, Tequila, Mezcal, and Pulque by mm-hmm. Suzanne Barbezat from Trip Savvy. Um, it's got a really good rundown of the differences because they are all made from agave, but the difference with Pulque is that it's made from that heart, kind of like a heart of palm or like an artichoke heart or something. Mm-hmm. But it's a pretty low alcohol content, so it kind of makes sense maybe that in order to get wasted on it enough to open your mind up to this kind of other dimension, Mm -hmm. you might need to uh, absorb it a little quicker. That's right. The drink had its own goddess. It was very common in the culture. It featured in tales of Mesoamerican mythology. And as you said, Noel, it was uh, drunk in moderation on a daily basis. But for these important religious festivals, you know, weddings, fertility rites, ceremonies of that nature, uh, it was served in more copious amounts. And to really get the bang for their buck, they administered it rectally. Rectally. And we're, you know, we're adults. We can say rectally without giggling. I mean, we can at least make a game out of not giggling and looking each other directly in the eyes while we Mm -hmm. say rectally. Rectally. I'm good. I'm golden. Good. 
Great. Great. How are you? I'm great. Let's go on. Let's move on with Let's this episode. Let's move on. So how did they administer this? You talked about finding those artifacts, right? right. The clay pots yep. and all of that. Um, another type of artifact that they found, and a lot of this is coming from a, a study, by the way, mm-hmm. um, from the uh, the journal Neurologia called Hallucinogenic Drugs in Pre-Columbian Mesoamerican Cultures by F.J. Corot Artal. And one of the bits of evidence outside of the depictions of these ritual enemas um, – um, on these pieces of pottery were the actual implements used to uh, shoot that stuff up there. Um, they were syringes. This stuff was administered with syringes made from gourds and clay. And if you look at uh, one of the figures in the study, there is a, a depiction of one of these Mayan ritual enemas, and it's a gentleman uh, laying, uh, what do you call it, legs akimbo, I guess, sort mm. of reclining. And, and then, splayed. Uh, splayed. There you go. And then you got a priest or some kind of, he, he seems to be wearing a different garb, um, and he is uh, reaching down um, at him with this thing that looks kind of like a loot, but it's actually clearly a gourd, and it's got, you know, the big bulb at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It's obviously full of uh, polque or... Any know, of the other similar related beverages. Exactly, of the, of the region. And it looks like he's getting ready to to give, give, give him a good squirt. Yeah, he's going to have a rager, right? It, well, apparently so. And we, we need to backtrack just a touch. Mm-hmm. We sort of started the episode off by saying that a lot of this was done in service of getting into a trance-like state because the purpose was to achieve enlightenment. We talked about these cultures as being, these Mesoamerican cultures as being perceived as more stoic, and this doesn't necessarily entirely fly in the face of that because they're not doing this just around, you know, their daily goings-on. This is all in these, we call it ritualistic for a reason. Mm -hmm. It was to open up their minds to achieve this enlightenment, um, get into a state of ecstasy and almost like an inner peace, and to uh, potentially achieve hallucinations in sort of a vision questy way and being able to commune with the gods. Yeah, that's that's the idea. It's removing some of the barriers of perception that would exist in normal day-to-day life. So what we're emphasizing here is that when people were doing it, it wasn't to just party hardy without some sort of larger plan here. Uh, We also, in addition to the tools or the implements that that you mentioned, all the uh, gourds and syringes, we also found these uh, thin, hollow bones. We know that there was a practice in some similar cultures where shamans would use a deer bladder and maybe a, a hollowed out femur bone to pump a substance through the rectum into into the body. And there were some, although, you know, this thing is rife for some crass humor, there were some definite medical advantages. It doesn't touch your stomach. It doesn't touch your stomach, and it doesn't touch your liver. Yes. And the, the anus hmm. is full of uh, very sensitive vascular tissue that is highly, highly absorptive. Yeah, yeah. And since th- there's another point with the liver thing that's really important, and I'm so glad you brought this up, the liver would break down hallucinogenic elements. Mm. So administering these substances this way, to your point, uh, gives you much more bang for your buck, inebriation or hallucination-wise. Yeah, no, it's true. And, um, I, you know, it, I, I wonder if the 
the location of injection was less important than just the fact that it was a more efficient way of achieving that state, especially with alcohol that was relatively lower mm-hmm. in potency. Um, we, we actually skipped the, the earliest form of, of this uh, – of intoxicating liquors that they use. It was something called balche that's um, made by infusing um, the bark, some sort of broken down version of the bark mm-hmm. from a tree called the Lancocarpus uh, longestylus. And then they mix that with honey, this particular kind of honey that's made by bees that have fed on um, a morning glory derivative that is very high in something called ergine, which is very closely related to a little something called LSD. Mm-hmm. Ergine is lysergic acid amide, and um, it also can be lysergic acid uh, lysergamide. So I think it's a very close molecular connection between mm-hmm. that and lysergic acid diethylamide, which is the acid. one that we know about from the, you know, from the Grateful Dead buses earlier in the right. episode. Or from fish earlier in Vermont. It's true. But here's the thing. They would, you know, a lot of times when they were doing these ritual en- enemas, they would add other psychedelic substances, psychotropic substances, and mix them into kind of a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then that's how they would uh, achieve the heights of um, openness. Tobacco, for instance, water lilies, mm-hmm. uh, those all went in there. And, you know, the thing about pulque specifically is that it had an extremely short shelf life. So these other alternatives could exist concurrently. But they were, when we talk about these ritual enemas, whatever the substance was and whatever the specific cocktail mix was, it had the same goal which was, again, to achieve this enlightenment. And I don't know about you, Noel, but I was startled by how much research had been conducted on this. You know, it hit me when I was thinking back on uh, search history and whatever Big Brother would see us looking through that for some time, my search history will be riddled with things like Brian Strauss and Justin Kerr's 1990 article, Notes on the Mayan Vision Quest by Enema. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Blood, Water, Vomit, and Wine. Uh, we found a comprehensive breakdown to your point about the specific ingredients in these enemas. We found a comprehensive breakdown of it by a guy named Peter A.G.M. DeSmet. Ritual enemas and snuffs in the Americas. Snuffs being things that you would insulfate, like mm-hmm. um, um, cocaine, for example, sure. or any number of um, powders that could be ground down from plant matter. Mm-hmm. And rather than ingesting it orally, you sniff it up your nose. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I'd like to make insulfate our word of the day. Ah! <laughs> it's a pee wee thing. Um, did, did we mention the fact that this has been going on as far back as 1200 to 400 BCE with the Olmec um, people? We have not, and it's important that we do because we mentioned the phrase polke and the phrase magwe being— And bulke. And bulke <laughs> being thrown around, but uh, we didn't mention the actual earliest instances of this practice. And I believe you are, cor- I believe you are correct, sir. It is the Olmec. Here is a good detail, too. Because the alcohol content in these substances were so low, um, they would inject them um, rectally. And 
it would often they would get so intoxicated that they would vomit. And there was part of the ritual, a particular ritual, where their vomit would be collected in bags that would then be hung around their necks. Mm -hmm. And this was a way also of uh, publicly displaying your completion of or participation in this ritual. And in the article that Strauss and Care worked on, they gave us a little bit of background as far as the transportation of this stuff goes. Uh, here's a quotation. The enema substance, they say, may have been transported in liquid form given the large size of these jars. They had specific enema jars, mm -hmm. right? You can see those, and those are uh, things that bear a lot of these decorations exactly. and glyphs. Yeah. Uh, so they continue, it's difficult to think of why this would be the case unless some of the ingredients included fermentation-based alcohol. It's conceivable the heavy jar was transported empty of liquid and the materials were mixed with liquid on the spot, but unless a large quantity was used at a time, the reason for carrying such a jar is rather a mystery. I love it when people use rather that way. I'm going to start bringing that back. Oh, you should. <laughs> Do you have my back on that one? I have your back on everything, Ben. Thanks, man. Likewise. So we we know that they had these specific jars. We know the things that were decorated on them, and we know that they had specific recurring characters, which I think is so cool. I'm, I'm just a big world-building nerd in that regard. And when we talk about characters, too, yeah. they actually had these terracotta figures mm -hmm. that demonstrated the proper procedure for, um, I'm trying to think of another way of saying it. Administering? Administering these uh, butt fluids. Yes, yes. So we see some common themes. Uh, Noel, you described the priest administering something to a uh, supplicant or the re receiver. Yeah, I guess priest is maybe a too broad a term, Some, something of a shaman yeah. um, who is trying to guide this process. And here's the thing. What were these rituals about? They were often things like about healing rituals mm -hmm. where um, – and I just want to point out too that it was most important for the leader of these rituals, the shaman, to be as open uh, as possible to this – spirit realm or right. what have you. But he would also administer mm -hmm. to the supplicants, you know, mm -hmm. the participants in, in the ritual. You mentioned earlier, I think, marriage mm -hmm. rituals. We're yeah. talking about fertility rites, I think you said, and right. then the healing, wherein someone maybe was ill or, mm -hmm. or dying. You or know, wounded, wounded in, in some way. And this would be a way to exercise that in some way and, and hopefully to uh, promote healing, mm -hmm. even though there's no real medical efficacy here. We'll get to that in a second, too. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. 
It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated, experienced drivers, and you receive those real-time notifications, as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents, plus you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? I think you know. It's Hmm. Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Well, you know, you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in. And after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. We can see some of these rituals or we can glean some of the purposes behind them by, again, looking at the the glyphs, uh, the decorations and the art surrounding these jars because they have these recurring participants. There's Water Lily Jaguar. Uh, this is a character who's frequently seen in enema jug scenes. For the enema ritual, he has a turban, bib. You'll see uh, him involved in enemas that are associated with sacrificial rites. Interesting. You'll see um, other characters like Spider Monkey, uh, who is also common in enema jug scenes. And then you'll see things like Drug Bird. That's the name. Drug Bird is distinguished by a beak with a fat, outturned end. It doesn't look like any real bird, but it's present in at least four enema scenes that are on these jugs. You have other characters like Big Lipped Frogs uh, and often 
holding a water lily or something that would be representative of ingredients in a particular type of cocktail. And then when we start getting into some of the other uh, substances they would imbibe, like psychedelic mushrooms, they even had a the Mixtec people had a god called Seven Flowers who is shown holding two mushrooms in each of his hands. But you know who didn't like uh, this behavior, Ben? Oh, gosh. Uh, tell me, who on earth would have a problem with this? It was the priests. <laughs> the <laughs> the Spanish Catholic priests. Priest. The Catholic priests. Yeah, the first one, Diego de Landa, um, he gave this account of, of experiencing some of this stuff. He said, the Indians consumed, which I always think is funny, because these are the use of Indian to, to refer to Mayan people and Aztec people. Right. It's kind of a, it's kind of a misnomer, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's, it's lazy naming. The idea was, uh, you know, the, the name comes from this cockamamie idea that they had landed in the Indian continent. Oh, speaking of which, you just posted a really great uh, Mitchell and Webb look sketch on the Ridiculous Historian's Facebook page that addresses that very thing. But anyway, here's the quote from Diego. He says, the Indians consumed alcohol and drugs in immense quantities, which gave rise to many evils, including murders. They made wine from honey, water, and the root of a certain tree. This is describing that uh, bulke um, that they grew just for that purpose. The wine had a very strong flavor and a putrid odor. Not a fan. This Not guy a fan. of these rituals, um, and then of course you know their goal was to turn them all into to good to good Catholics anyway. So any of these what they would have seen as barbaric kind of rituals probably rubbed them the wrong way with or without the booze. Yeah, and let's not forget this idea of proselytization on their end was entirely by hook or by crook. The ends justify the means. So we could imagine a bit. We can speculate on how the Spanish forces would have reacted to this. Now, the idea of an enema in general would not have been completely foreign to them. It is, as they say in The Beauty and the Beast, a tale as old as time. Right. And, I mean, you know, enemas are good for, like, one thing, (laughs) (laughs) which is... uh... Yeah, enemas over the span of human civilizations. Here's a sentence I didn't think I would say today. (laughs) Over the span of human civilization, enemas have been used for numerous real or purported medical benefits. Uh, They've been used for uh, bowel management. Uh, They've also been used, you know, to relieve constipation. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one that I think is actually accurate, that, that Mm. that it can help you with. Well, they can also be used to administer other substances directly into the bloodstream. Of course. Right. As, so, as we know from, from our pals, the Mayans. Right. Or, you know, uh, from your local veterinarian, they may recommend that you give someone a suppository or a pet a suppository. I guess so. I guess I think of those as being sort of uh, two different sides of, of the same butt coin. Because enemas would be liquid. They don't have to be. They're smoke enemas. That's very true, Ben. <laughs> you are really opening my third eye. <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, Yes, we are a family show here. One thing that was very interesting to both of us when we started exploring this stuff is that there is an entire culture, multiple cultures associated with, again, the real or perceived effects of enemas in, in a palliative or medical sense. Absolutely. And if you want to deep dive into this, I highly recommend checking out our sister podcast, Stuff You Missed in History Classes episode on a fellow by the name of John Harvey Kellogg. But let's give you the broad strokes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John Harvey Kellogg was uh, nowadays best known as a serial 
visionary, right? He made Kellogg cornflakes and stuff. A serial visionary, like he made, he had many visions <laughs> in, 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 success, in quick succession. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. But he also, you know, came up with what's today still a very popular breakfast item. Yeah. The cornflake. And in his uh, non-serial tycoon life, he had very particular and nowadays uh, very strange-seeming medical beliefs. Cereal was a side effect of, or I guess uh, an added value, right, mm -hmm. uh, to his primary goal, which was improving people's health. Mm -hmm. And stopping them from masturbating. Yes, just like the graham cracker inventor. Yeah, uh, he saw masturbation as... Uh, a moral danger and a medical uh, problem. He was a Seventh-day Adventist mm -hmm. and a, uh, a staunch vegetarian and, and a health nut. Yeah, and a huge proponent of enemas. You can read uh, you can read a great article about this on the Washington Post by Rebecca Fowler. This is one of my favorite titles, although all the authors we're citing here are knocking it out with the titles today. Uh, an enema of the people, Noel. Uh, that was what Harvey Kellogg was after. John Isn't that Harvey. a Blink-182 album? It's an enema of the state. Uh, of the state, and that's been Casey on the, the case, case, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And Kellogg himself practiced what he preached. He preached the health benefits of enemas. He also administered multiple enemas a day to himself. Sure, like you do. Like you do. And the more you dive into this, and yeah, we do recommend the Mist in History class episode, uh, the more we dive into it, the more we see that while he had these very hard-line health-based health principles, like no smoking, right. for instance, uh, he really, really, really doubled down on enemas. Yogurt enemas, that was a big thing. That it seems messy. Of. It seems like, you know what, never tried it, but it does seem really messy. Yeah, I, I'll take my 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 yogurt orally. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this was... was Kind of considered to the to now when we look at it through the lens of of science of modern science to be kind of quackery or at least um, I don't know what do you call it when you've got kind of a pseudoscience right mm -hmm. and and that but the, but it persists to this day right there are people who swear up and down that um, coffee enemas are the thing right right and and speaking of things you never thought you'd read in your uh, web browser for a work related venture um, i found an article called enema history in the mayan culture um mm -hmm. that was sort of a travelogue of a gentleman who visited uh some of these areas mm -hmm. with these ruins to investigate the history of what we've been talking about today and it starts thus in 2010 i visited guatemala in order to responsibly cultivate my relationship with the fairly traded enema coffee that i sell for my colon cleanse clients to use for their coffee enemas at home. Mm -hmm. And then there's a very helpful link to uh, his fairly traded enema coffee. And it it's, it's very, it's, uh, it's, it's certified organic. It's low acidity. It's mm -hmm. air roasted. Um, mm -hmm. And it's higher in caffeine and palmitic acid. And of course, fairly traded. But this gentleman um, just is a real proponent of this remedy. And it's, it's a thing. It's kind of uh, picking up steam a little bit. And this particular type of, of, of cleanse is part of um, something called the Gerson therapy that was developed in the 1930s. But the FDA has consistently come out against cleanses of any kind, saying right. that the, the, the science just isn't there, and that enemas are really only good for that one thing we talked about earlier, which was 
you know, curing constipation as as God intended <laughs> or, you know, for shooting alcohol up your butt and making you incredibly intoxicated so you can, you know, talk to the spirits. Or in some cases, medicine to help you. That would happen. Right? Also true. I still think that's different. That's just a rectal administration of... Mm-hmm. You know what, though? That's – you know, alcohol is not like it's it's not water. You're shooting it up there mm-hmm. just to get the effects of it. It's not like you're not using it as a cleanse. Well, yeah, you know, the thing that I, I think fascinates both of us is not just how widespread this practice has been, but the fact that it continues today, unlike several other traditional practices in Mesoamerica, uh, this practice survived colonialism, and some tribes still practice it. It's true. And additionally, here, even we record in the United States, as you know, a long time, listeners, uh, here, it is also a popular thing, but under a different name. Oh, man, do we get to say it now? I, yes, you you have waited long enough. Butt chugging! <laughs> you say it, you say it. Uh, right. I'm, I'm going to say it in a, uh, in a posh British voice. Butt chugging. But no, that just sounds like you're saying, but chugging mm-hmm. is not good for you. You should drink more gentlemanly-like and slower at a, at a medium pace. I need you to say, butt chugging. I feel like that's your voice. I'm, how about? Okay, you don't have to say it in that voice. I just want you to really lean into it. Uh, a rowdy bottom chug. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's fine. Let's that's look, great. What, what, what are no, you talking no, 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 no. about? Hey, man, it's, you, it, you do you. I'll do. I obviously uh, am more excited about butt chugging than you are, and that's fine. We're two different people. We can have our own feels about things. So, butt chugging essentially is uh, is administering alcohol rectally mm-hmm. without the purpose of uh, pursuing some great spiritual revelation or epiphany. It's Recreational. Yeah, they, 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 there was a there was a case uh, back in oh when was it 2014? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. It was a little earlier than that. 2014 when the, was when the fallout kind of went down. It was in 2012 where a fraternity at the University of Tennessee, the Pi Kappa Alpha chapter, um, had got into a little hot water when an underage student named Alexander P. Broughton. Went to the hospital after a a real uh, rager, as they say, um, with uh, an alcohol, blood alcohol level of 0.40. Which is five times the legal limit and in what doctors call the death zone the for alcohol death poisoning. zone, yeah. And they examined him and decided that he had been penetrated in some way. They said there were signs of sexual assault. Um, and it came out that the investigators believed, rather than him having been uh, sexually assaulted in some way, that he had this alcohol administered rectally. Right. With uh, a length of hose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a misconception amongst many people, or there was at the time, that inserting alcohol into any other orifice would reduce the chances of vomiting from a hangover or something like that. That seems off. It's misinformed at the very least. Uh, And the experts have labeled this activity extremely dangerous because think about it. You know, if first off, if this is being done to someone as another ritual, like a fraternity hazing ritual or something. Oh, yeah. 
then safety is not prioritized near as much as it should be. Absolutely not. Man, whenever I – have you been to a fraternity party before? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I've only been to uh, one, mm-hmm. and it was well after I had graduated from college. And I have to say I was shocked, Ben. <laughs> I was shocked. Were you clutching the, your pearls? Just the depravity. I mean I just saw there was like a, like a very like slight – uh, 22, 23-year-old girl uh, in a devil costume walking around pounding a handle, mind you, of vodka all by herself. Like, that was her beverage for the night. Um, I it, it, I was, you know, I, I like a good, uh, a stiff drink sure. as much as, as the rest of them, but I, I was taken aback. Um, but here's the thing with this story about uh, from UT. Yeah. It turned out that it was very important to uh, the father of this young man mm-hmm. and the fraternity and their lawyers yeah. to make it very clear that no butt-chugging took place. In fact, there is a delightful um, clip you can find. We're not going to play it here. You can see that if you want, where their lawyer says the phrase butt-chugging no less than 15 times in this press conference, and it is it's a hoot. He claimed, the, the boy, uh, that he was participating in a party called the Tour of Franzia um, because when they went back to mm-hmm. investigate the scene, they found um, like those wine box bags. If you open up the box of yeah. wine, you sometimes take out called the, a space bag, a space bag. They found those littered everywhere and a lot of passed out uh, uh, fraternity brothers there. And the Tour of Franzia is, I guess, where you just drink bad White Zinfandel until you black out? Sounds like a very niche audience here, or a very niche party. But despite the hilarious name of butt chugging, uh, the dangers and effects of this are very real. I like you really owned it when you said it that time, Ben. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents plus you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today you can get 40% off That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now. Specifically, when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. 
From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. You know, what's funny about this, Noel, is we hope everyone has enjoyed learning about these ritualistic practices that maybe with different aims continue today in the in the modern world. But uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm uh, I'm a little at odds about how best to end this, because it's lovely when we end on questions so we can hear from you, friends and neighbors. But. I think we should be careful what questions we ask on this one. I think we should do it. I, I would like to do a little PSA here and say, kids, don't put alcohol in your butt. No. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do not do it. There it's are, not worth it. There are better things you can do. You can reach the time. spirit realm na- naturally. You can meditate. Exercise. Yeah. You can um, climb a tree. Yeah, climb a tree. You know what? Go look at the stars. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful this they're, time of year. They're beautiful all the time. And uh, on, on that note, uh, oh my as, god! What? Oh no! What is? Ah, it? uh, you been, know what it is. It's been so long. I didn't think it was ever going to happen again. It's always going to happen. It's time, gentlemen. <laughs> Jonathan Strickland, the Quister, you've returned yet again to bedevil us with fact and fiction. And you're in top wickedly gleeful form, my friend. I mean, my bitter enemy. Yes, and well, flattery will get you nowhere. So this is, again, uh, as a surprise to us, as it always seems to be when we're about to end the episode, this is the part of Ridiculous History wherein our uh, longstanding nemesis, Jonathan Strickland, the Quister, uh, returns to Give us a fact, and Noel and I must determine whether it is true or it is false. We have three minutes. Yes. And it that that timer on this gigantic grandfather clock behind us does not start until after you have stated the the claim. More of a more of a great grandfather clock, isn't it? And uh, we should point out that I also always give you an arbitrary rule you must follow. Ah, yes. Every time. This time. Because we are talking about uh, alcohol, I got your nice, a nice uh, adult beverage. Oh, wow! It's a cold yeah. one. Uh, so before any question, you must pop that open, take a swig, and then say, 
I got I got one for you, Quister. And just to are you have you had a few? You sound a little uh, a f- define a few. The the word I the euphemism I've always liked to use is charming. No, mm. I think Noel's saying you sound a bit charming. The Quister is nothing if not charming. That's I'm, true. I'm so charming, the room is spinning right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. I, I hope that you uh, administer this alcohol orally. Uh, well, <laughs> that is young. That's fair. <laughs> That's um, true. So we uh, we will have to pop the first time we ask something, and then after right. that, just sip. Right. Assuming that you have to ask anything at all, you may you may we feel may. very confident and not have to ask any questions. And just to point out to the listeners at home, it is approaching five, um, so uh, I think it's it's perfectly appropriate. Sun's over the yard sure. arm somewhere. Indeed. No. All right, let's do this. Yeah, right. yeah, knock it out. Here's your scenario, and Ooh. guess what? What? It's a long one. Here we go. Since 1863, every year on January 15th in Nozawa Onsen, Japan, there is an interesting sake-fueled ritual that pits villagers against each other, all in the name of the Shinto religion. All men who are either 25 or 42 years old are conscripted to guard a wooden shrine constructed just for the event. The men are encouraged to drink sake. A lot of it. Like, half a gallon of the stuff of more. The purpose for drinking that much is to imbue the young men with the courage to face what comes next. That next thing is a priest endows the shrine with a dosojin, or a protective travel spirit associated with crossroads. The drunken 25 and 42-year-olds must then defend the shrine against all the other men of the village who arm themselves with torches and attempt to burn the shrine down. At least one person has died from injuries sustained in this yearly festival, and many receive serious injuries. The whole ceremony originally was meant to encourage a good harvest. These days, it's also to wish for a profitable skiing season. You need some water, man? Begin. Okay. All right, I am officially starting the timer. I got one for you. Uh, all right, hit me, hit me, Mr. All right, so why are they only 25 and 42? And they're not a range, right? It's not everyone 25 mm. to 42. It's those ages specifically. An excellent question. Many Japanese traditions are based in superstition, and the festival is no different with the 25 and 42-year-old in the village chosen to take on the special roles because those are the so-called unlucky ages for men. Of course, he had an answer for it. That's, you know, that's almost suspicious. There we go. There we go. Why are you so horrible? Uh, it just comes naturally, I guess. That's fair. That's it? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I thought you were bringing the fire. I, I got no fire. He, he puts out my fire. He extinguishes me like uh, like one of those torches in this potentially untrue story. So we're at two minutes. Uh, hang on. I got one for you. All right, hit me, Mr. Bob. Uh, what is, um, what what year did this originate in again? 1863. Okay. Uh, damn it. I got one for All right, you. All right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what, Starting to back up on him. <laughs> what is the, uh, what town is this in again? It's, it's in Nazawa, which is at the base of a mountain range. Oh. Oh, what is this? Like uh, some kind of generic? This is beer. 
Yep. It just, just says beer. Just, yeah. just store brand beer in a white can with the word beer on it. It's skunky. It's like a prop you'd see in a movie. You I couldn't at least bring Natty Light? Come I, on, man. I honestly found it, like, in the basement, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. There's so many things. Like, can't you just give us a quick A to B kind of, like, scenario? Yeah, I this thought is... this was a quick one. No. No. Well, we uh, are at 50 seconds. Okay. What the, the torches, the burning down. I, why? The, the men. I... I, I, I think it's not true. I th- it, it seems like, Ben, that mm-hmm. there's parts of this. I know there are rituals like this that they do. There's, like, the sake ceremonies mm-hmm. um, where they even, like, you know, spit the fermented, the rice and the, the little, they, put, they make their sake, spit the rice, chew it up mm-hmm. and spit it into a cube and then they cover it and bury it. And then it's like a, a whole thing. It was in a movie I saw. Um, I just feel, because I'm such an optimistic person, I feel burned every time I guess true and it's not, you know? Okay. I just want to believe in stuff too much. I know, I know. I, I guess I just feel like, why, why would they risk burning down infrastructure? Yeah. You want to go not true? Five, four, not true. three. Okay, we're going to lock it. We didn't lock it in yet. Stop looking at me that way, Quister. That's our time. I, uh, He's giving me a look. I, well, you, know, you never know with him. Okay. All right. We'll say it then. Let's do it. Not, not true. true. You poor idiots. You poor idiots. It's true. Son of a it fish. It is absolutely true. I gave you this on a platter. I Did you say platter or bladder? platter. Listen, I've had a few. All right? <laughs> listen. 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 Oh, man. Bolin, listen. I had to make sure it was good stuff that I brought you. Oh, Listen. All right. So anyway, yeah, no, this is one of the three big fire festivals of Japan. It's actually one of the most famous. It's been covered with various news outlets like NPR. And I mean, it was the Internet is lousy with information about this thing. And Mm -hmm. I thought for sure one of you would have heard about it since it's so crazy. I have not. I have not. I feel like Have you heard about the one yeah. with the rice though, where they yes, spit yeah, that yeah, one? Yeah. Okay, so, okay. so what is happening here is the uh, doso jin is a, is a, a Shinto spirit that is uh, considered to be a kindly spirit that helps travelers, mm-hmm. and uh, and so uh, the the priest from the nearby shrine supposedly imbues this temporary shrine, this this model of a shrine that's been constructed over the course of a few days by about a hundred villagers mm-hmm. with the spirit of a of a dosojin. The whole purpose is to burn it. It's it's a, it's almost like an offering. Mm-hmm. And so they build a big bonfire out of various uh, pieces of very flammable stuff and lots of little um, dolls and things that represent uh, various elements of the culture. And then the men of the village, they light their torches. They are supposed to eventually burn the thing down. I think that's also one of the reasons why the defenders are encouraged to get almost blackout drunk. Oh, that seems dangerous with oh, the fire and yeah, the, that's the drinking. Why a guy guy died yeah. doing right. this once and lots See, of people get that hurt. That we know of. Yeah. In, in, One that we know in of. my defense, in our defense, when you say shrine and you're talking about like a village, I think I'm picturing like a a building that's meant to stay there. No, this was absolutely it's, just constructed for the purpose of the festival. Oh, that's what okay. threw me. That's what yeah. threw me. And a lot of those buildings are created from wood rather than stone. Yes, and it, this one Seems is... Seems like you'd risk burning down the whole village, though. Like, yeah, the pictures of this, by the way, are phenomenal. It happens January 15th every year. So if you guys, you know, if we don't want to do a ridiculous history on the road, I'm just saying. Extra credit. 2019, yeah. January 15th. 
be there. Yeah. Let's get the bosses to pop for uh, Japan tickets. Yeah. Len, just for fun, let's find one of our coworkers that is either 42 or 25 and oh. not tell them what's going down to William Lane. You know what age I am this year, right? <clears throat> 42. I just missed it. Nice. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah. Well, no, I can't even yeah. be mad. That was... That was good. I, I I love learning new stuff, Noel. So although, Quister, I do feel like you put a lot more work into gloating about today than you did into doing the question, L- I, I applaud you. I, I gave you so many hints. For one thing, just the last time I was on here, you mentioned that when I do a really long one, it means it's fake. I did another really long one just so that you would know it was real. <laughs> And you still chose fake. I could tell by the way you were looking at me. Man. You should have flipped it. Should have. Yeah, but it's we're a team, okay. dude. We are a team, We're man. a team. We're a team. We I got don't each wanna, other's backs. I don't want to do a last-minute flip. And we have your back, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, and Quister, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Enjoy your beer. <laughs> thank you for the Thank you for the unlabeled generic basement beer. I ought to say swill. well uh that's it for us today however if you would like to learn more ridiculous history if you would like to hang out with your fellow ridiculous historians boy do we have good news for you yeah you can do it on the facebook you can just go on the facebook page for the show or if you want to take it up a notch you can join our facebook group the ridiculous historians where uh, i I hear that pretty soon we're going to see pictures of super producer casey's um very lucrative childhood modeling career right headshots Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear there's catalog uh, spreads. Spreads, yeah. You know, probably going to be some Oshkosh bagosh involved. Mm-hmm. We'll get to see him with an assortment of fake parents, uh-huh. from what I hear. Yeah. Good stuff. Good <laughs> times over. True. Good times over on The Ridiculous Historians. Um, you can also do us a solid and leave us a, a kindly review on iTunes. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah, we, we always like to hear from you. And uh, do remember to tune in for our next episode where we nail down the mystery behind the name of California. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoiler alert involves a badass Amazonian queen and uh, weaponized griffins. Yes, yes, yes. What the heck are you guys talking about? We'll find out uh, on our very next episode. In the meantime, that's all for today. Thank you so much. If you are uh, participating in any of the stuff we mentioned in this topic, not to sound too much like a worry wart, but we, uh, we all of us, uh, the Quister and Casey included, hope that you are safe and make responsible decisions. Indeed. I can't open the door, guys. I can't. I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm too far gone. It's because your hands are so tiny. Mm. Let's get some torches. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Could these study results apply to your life? If you or a loved one are living with HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer, take a look at the data for a clinical study where 50% of eligible people with HER2-positive MBC lived over two years without their tumors growing or spreading. 
Visit her2results.com to learn more. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.